financial advisors planning for life. And good evening, Hampton Roads. Welcome to another edition of Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna, alongside me as usual, CFP, Allison DeBrill. Together we come to you live every second and fourth Tuesday of the month to dialogue with you, take your calls. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, then we'd love to hear from you. All we need is your first name, city you're calling from, and no matter what Allison and I are talking about, if it's important to you, then it's important to us. We'll get you right on air, 627-7979. That's 627-7979. Wealthway Financial Advisors is the proud sponsor of Dollars and Common Sense. We are an independent registered investment advisor, which means we're legally held to a fiduciary duty to put our client's interest ahead of our own in any business dealing. And that's the way it should be when you work with a financial advisor. As the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. So by design, we can't work with everyone. We work with a relatively small group of high net worth individuals, but that's one of the reasons we feel so strongly about coming here every second and fourth Tuesday at 6 p.m., and that's to reach out and help as many people in the Hampton Roads listening area as we can achieve your measure of financial success, because it is a core belief at Wealthway Advisors that the overwhelming majority of people in this country have the opportunity for financial security if they choose it as a choice. Because it takes some time, it takes some effort, and it takes some knowledge. We are here to help. You got to take that first step, though. Pick up the phone, give us a call, 627-7979, whether you want to talk about anything having to do with the investment markets, the economy, insurance products like life insurance, health insurance, property casualty, taxes, tax planning, tax reduction strategies, retirement planning, retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs, TSP, 457. Uh, mortgage options, social security claiming strategies, or estate planning, wills, and trusts. All that and more falls under the umbrella of personal finance we are here to discuss tonight. 627-7979. Good evening, Allison. Good evening. I'm back. Thanks for holding down the fort. Yes, welcome back from vacation in Utah. I had to go it alone. We didn't receive a single call Aww, two weeks ago, no, despite no Damien and <laughs> my best efforts. Obviously, um, when you're not here, no one wants to talk to me. Oh, well, sorry, but luckily I'm back. How was the trip to Utah? <laughs> it was fabulous. We did a ton of hiking. We hiked like on average 10, 10 miles a day and saw some just beautiful landscapes just it's like unreal it's like another planet mm -hmm. in areas out there so it was mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. but back at it mm -hmm. and while tax season may be over for most people we thought we would revisit some tax issues because we get a lot of questions about people's tax bills about unexpected tax bills a lot of people owing so we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of give a rundown of why you might have owed and why you can expect that going forward what you can do to plan for it so that you don't get those unexpected surprises yeah not the uh, immediate crush is over of having to get your taxes prepared and filed by it was april 18th this year uh something we say but every tax-oriented uh, show is tax planning does not happen, you know, on April 14th. It doesn't even happen on December 30th 
of the prior year. Tax planning, good tax planning, is done year-round. So here are some things you can start thinking about and preparing for uh, now to set yourself up for um, a the best tax year that you can have um, for 2022. Mm-hmm. And so we want to go into a little bit about how capital gains tax works, because I don't think everybody's aware of how capital gains taxes are applied to non-retirement investments. And really, uh, major stock market indices ended the year near all-time highs. So a lot of people had built-in capital gains in their investments. And if you sold at a gain, you may have owed taxes. Well, you will have owed taxes. But even if you didn't sell, it's possible that your investments created taxable gains. And that's where I think people don't realize that they'll owe tax on an ongoing basis. Especially people who are new to investing. And there are a lot of people who were new to investing in 2021 because there were about 10 million new brokerage accounts that were opened last year. Uh, A lot of those were by younger people first-time investors, and on apps or through uh, companies that uh, created, that you create accounts online, and that encourage sort of a gamification of investing or trading, I guess I should say. And while it can seem fun when the market is going up, if you are trading frequently, and you are incurring a profit, then you are also incurring capital gains, and capital gains are taxable. But unlike your paycheck, where with taxes are automatically withheld by your employer and sent to the state or federal government, uh, there are no, there is no withholding on your profit when it comes to investment taxes. So a lot of people were surprised this year that they had that they owed a lot of additional tax because they uh, incurred some profit from trading activity last year and they didn't really understand how cost basis and capital gains taxes work and how they're calculated and how you can minimize them if you uh, are thoughtful and plan with your investment strategy. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Yes. So know that what we're talking about does not apply to retirement accounts. So that's one of the benefits of retirement accounts, that they grow tax deferred. We're talking about investments outside of retirement accounts that would um, almost always be in a brokerage account. Right. Which brokerage account not um, protected, the activity that occurs in there, dividends, interest, Uh, capital gains distributions from mutual funds or exchange-traded funds uh, or that occurred from sales from investments, uh, that is all subject to taxation. Now, lower tax rates than than the withdrawals that come out of uh, um, traditional IRA accounts, but if managed properly. So, we're going to get into a little bit more of that. Uh, as promised, when you get caller on the line, we're going to break into the calls and speak to Bill. But Damien's telling me we're going to speak to Bill after the break. So, Bill, Yorktown, hang in there. We'll be right back after these messages. Uh, get the get the other calls in now, 627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars in Common Sense on AM 790.
WNIS. And welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at Wealthway Advisors. Dot com. Okay, we thought we had Bill on the phone from Yorktown, but it looks like we lost him. So let's jump back into uh, discussion about capital gains. Yes, capital gains tax. So when you buy a stock or an investment and then you sell the investment for more than what you bought it for, that's a gain, and you are subject to capital gains tax on any of that gain. Uh, And conversely, if you sold it for less than what you bought it for, that would be a capital loss. And you can deduct capital losses um, on your tax return, but there are limitations involved in that. So that's pretty straightforward. I think most people understand that. I, I hope that when you have a profit on an investment and you sell it, you pay capital gains tax on the profit. What I don't think a lot of people realize are that when you're investing in mutual funds, even if you don't sell the mutual fund, the mutual fund could be distributing its own capital gains because they're buying and selling within the mutual fund. And so you may owe tax on a mutual fund gain without ever having sold that fund. Right. The uh, mutual fund is like a basket, and in that basket – is typically anywhere from 25 to heck over 500 individual securities, stocks, bonds, um, those types of instruments inside the mutual fund basket. And whether it's at, if it's actively managed, then there's a manager there who is buying and selling within that mutual fund basket. That trading activity eventually works its way to the holder of the shares of the mutual fund at least once a year, um, sometimes more frequently, sometimes quarterly, sometimes monthly. Mutual funds distribute capital gains, dividends, and interest throughout the course of the year, but at least annually. And so without even selling the shares of the mutual fund, you can be subject to capital gains taxes through the distributions of mutual funds. Uh, Now, exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, are typically an unmanaged basket of stocks or securities or bonds. And while there can be some tax distributions that come from ETFs, they typically are much less than an actively managed mutual funds because there is not somebody who is routinely buying and selling. However, um, corporate activity can occur throughout the course of the year. So companies merging, selling off, um, spinning off divisions, uh, those types of corporate activity also causes taxable distributions from the ETF. So even without selling those types of instruments, 
you can be subject to capital gains taxes. And you may not realize until after the year is over because a lot of this, it can happen throughout the year, like you said, but a lot of it is at the last minute in December. And then it takes a couple months for the reporting to all come in. And then you finally get your 1099 to file your taxes. And then lo and behold, a surprise tax bill that you Mm. didn't even know was coming. Right, because there's no withholding on that taxable activity. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about capital gains tax rates. They are more favorable than ordinary income tax rates based on current tax law. So just to give you an idea, if you are single and have less than about $42,000 of adjusted gross income, I'm sorry, taxable income, then you would pay 0% on your capital gains. So Mm -hmm. that's not bad. If you're married and have less than $83,000 of taxable income, you also pay 0% on your capital gains. So maybe Mm -hmm. you're retired and your your income is low and you're able to generate capital gains without paying tax. Mm -hmm. But for people above those limits, you're most likely paying 15%. And then for high, high earning people, you could be in the 20% tax bracket. Mm -hmm. So your capital gains tax rate is dependent upon your taxable income and the higher your taxable income the higher the capital gains tax rate but it is possible to have a zero percent capital gains rate um, and if you can structure your affairs uh, appropriately um, then you might be able to manage your way to a uh, either a zero percent or a 15 percent tax rate now most people are going to pay 15 percent uh, capital gains rate on their profit. So for planning purposes, that's number you should kind of file away in the back of your head. And I should just mention that this is for long-term capital gains. So that means mm-hmm. investments held for longer than one year. If it's a short-term capital gain or less than one year, then you're taxed at ordinary income rates. Yeah. So that's what uh, I was talking about at the beginning of the show where people who are new to investing and are much more frequent traders as opposed to long-term investors tend to incur short-term capital gains. That is profit that you make on an investment that you have held for less than one year. The profit on that type of capital gain is taxed at ordinary income tax rates, which are higher than capital gains rates. And for most people, um, might be in the 22% tax bracket, could be in the 25, what's the next one after 22? 24. 24%. And then 32. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that type of profit is taxed at ordinary income tax rate and it's very inefficient. So rarely should individual accumulators who are trying to build long-term worth wealth rarely should they be trading that frequently Mm -hmm. Um, that's sort of a mythology that uh, it should be left to people who uh, are more experienced and know what they're doing and let's not forget that while most people are not excited about an unexpected tax bill ultimately at the end of the day Paying capital gains tax means your investments were profitable, that you have more money, more spendable income than you did when you started out. And so 
current regime, current tax mm. regime dictates that part of that is taxable. You do have to pay your tax, but ultimately you are better off for having invested. Right. We've got to reiterate that um, don't let the tax tail wag the dog when it comes to building wealth, building net worth. Taxes are a natural consequence, under current tax law, natural consequence of successful investing. So if you invest successfully, then you are growing your net worth, you are growing your wealth, then you are ultimately going to pay some tax along the way. And, and the, so the goal is not to eliminate all taxes. That's actually not hard to do. <laughs> if you want to give away all your money or if you want to uh, lose all your money, then you are free to do that and you will not have to pay any tax on your losses or on your charitable donations. But for most people, that's not the end objective. It's to grow their net worth over time and so, hence, we are going to pay some taxes from time to time. And one other possible source of capital gains taxes that I want to bring up because it's very prevalent right now is the sale of real estate. So if you are selling real estate for a profit, it's possible that you could owe capital gains tax on that profit. But where people get confused is there's an exemption for your personal residence. So if you're selling the home that you've lived in for at least two out of the past, I think it's five, five years, five mm -hmm. years, thank you, uh, you are able to shelter some of that gain from capital gains tax. For single people, they can shelter up to $250,000 of gain from tax, and married filing jointly can shelter up to $500,000 of gain from tax. So if you sold your primary residence and your gain was within those limits, you most likely have no tax. That's tax-free. Mm-hmm. And then any gain above that would be taxed at capital gains tax rates. But there are some things, if you keep good records on upgrades and it's not repairs, but Remodels. capital improvements. Yeah, re yeah, remodeling the kitchen, mm -hmm. uh, putting an addition on your house, pool in the backyard, a sunroom. Those are capital appreciation um, improvements. improvements to your house that can add to your cost basis and i think we need to talk a little bit about cost basis after yes. the break mm -hmm. but that gets added to your cost basis which ultimately lowers the amount of the capital gain the profit that you would have to declare on the sale of the property and so it can reduce some of the taxes so no if you're like many people who are taking advantage Selling of this real hot estate real right estate now, market cashing out <laughs> You probably have a profit, and if the profit is greater than, if you're married filing joint, uh, and the profit's greater than $500,000, then you too are going to owe some capital gains tax that you might not be prepared for. Mm -hmm. So just remember to hold back some of that profit uh, yes. come tax time. Don't roll it over into your next new residence and try to pay cash 100%. Unless you got, you know, cash sitting outside in bank accounts. And that's a whole other discussion on mortgage strategies, which if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you've probably heard our theory on that. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to pause here. Uh, take a short break for the news. We're gonna come back after that. We're gonna talk more about capital gains taxes, uh, what they are, how they work, um, the rates involved, and things you can do to try to minimize them where possible. Um, if you got a question or comment relating to this topic or anything having to do with your own personal financial situation, give us a call in the studio six two seven seven nine seven nine. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. Pathway Financial Advisors, planning for life. And welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized, ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. Once there, you can request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter at wealthwayadvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the uh, dialog boxes, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we will use your name and address for, is just to send you the information that you request. Uh, or if you have more nuanced questions and want to speak to a live human being, give us a call at the office, 456-2200. Probably speak with Donna. Uh, I want to remind everybody, we'll be our next show will be in two weeks on Tuesday, May 10th at 6 p.m. as usual. And if there's parts of the show that you didn't catch, we will be on as a rebroadcast this Saturday. We Like we are uh, most every Saturday following the show, there's a rebroadcast of this. Or you can get the show as a podcast. And wherever you get your podcast, search for Dollars in Common Sense, download us, take us with you wherever you go. And then finally, you want to connect with us online, we are on Facebook and LinkedIn. Search for Wealthway Financial Advisors, press the like button or the follow button. Be our friend. And we will be friends. <laughs> yes, we will be, be fa- we'll be Facebook BFFs. <laughs> uh, okay, 627-7979, studio line. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, we'd love to hear from you, or you can jump in on the conversation we're talking about tonight, which has to do with uh, cost basis, taxes, capital gain taxes, and so forth. Right now, we're going to run up to Williamsburg and speak with Bill. Good evening, Bill. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. It's raining hard here. Is it raining where you are? Yeah, it just started here in downtown Norfolk. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, if you sell your home now and the price is high, and then you say, okay, well, I'm going to buy another house now, but the price is all high with those houses, too. Uh, I have another question after this. I, 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 just something extra. But does that um, does that make sense to be selling a home when the others are going up anyway, and you're going to end up maybe being priced out of a home anyway then? I just I, And I had one other thing. I got this pes- pesky cat from the Humane Society. He's really cute, you know, but he wants, he's always, anyway, he, he's saying CLM, CLM. He drives me nuts with that. He wants everybody to know that cat lives matter, especially the ninth life. 
Anyway, he's a pesky little cat. Oh, he's a beautiful little cat. But can you answer that other question for me first? I appreciate it. Well, Sorry. you might have to text Allison a picture of your cat because she's uh, a big cat person. Yep. Oh. Cat. I'm a cat mom. <laughs> uh, but as a, he wants to make sure I get that across. Skippy the cat. His name's Skippy the cat. Right. So as it relates to the home purchase, I mean, you, no one should be rarely should someone be selling their home just to cash out. Um, mm -hmm. Your primary residence is first a home and an investment second. So live it in the type of property that you want to live in. Now, if you're ready to move to another location, go down to Florida, uh, or you're ready to downsize from you know, the house you uh, raised your kids in, and now you got a four-bedroom house and six bathrooms, and now it's just the two of you, um, and you want to downsize, that makes good sense to then sell your home. But to try to take advantage of the real estate market the way it is, um, that's a risky proposition. And as you pointed out, while you might be selling high, if you're buying comparable-type property, you're probably also buying high. So from a financial planning standpoint, uh, it's it, it'll either be a wash or you could end up just with a, a larger, more expensive house. So there's no tax advantage to that <clears throat> then either, apparently. I mean, I guess technically you would lock in that gain and you would get that tax free. But again, you know, your buying power is going to be more limited and interest rates are ticking up right now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that we that would be making a, a tax decision probably for the wrong reasons. Okay. Well, I appreciate the help. And, and my kitty still said, CLM, cat lies matter. Hey, okay, I didn't know about life. this. I'm on board. All right, Bill, thanks for the call. 627-7979. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I, I, I keep bringing this up. There's two sides to the real estate equation. Because if you're selling, you better have some place to go or you better find your place to go before you sell because you, people are living in hotels right now trying to buy houses. It's just wild. Yeah, anecdotally, that's uh, the, the real estate market's kind of flipped on its head. And in the past, you would try to sell your own house first. And once you had an offer and you knew um, – what you were dealing with, how much you know you were going to sell for, how much profit you were going to make, then you could make an informed decision on your next property and how much down payment money you would have to put on that. Well, now that seems to be reversed. It's almost like you have to <laughs> come qualified with a, a pre-qualified offer mm -hmm. or cash offer, yeah. um, put it down on your next property, and then worry about selling your current house. And for most people, that seems to be working out okay because properties are selling so quick. So just a unique period of time that we're in, a variety of reasons for that, um, that is causing it. But that's that's the way home buying is these days. Yeah, and so kind of along with that, back to our capital gains tax discussion, whether it's selling an investment or selling a real estate property, you need to have a good handle on your cost basis, which is the technical term for what you paid for the investment or the property. Yeah, it's probably one of the biggest mistakes that we see um, 
investors make is not recording or capturing or remembering or saving cost basis. The date and amount that you purchased an investment for. And, you know, it's relatively simple when it comes to stocks and mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, that type of thing. That is recorded somewhere. Uh, now, within the last almost 10 years now, it's been a requirement of the brokerage companies or the custodians where you place your trade, uh, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, to record that information. Uh, but before that time, they were not capturing that. And still, even though they do it today, it's still ultimately you, the taxpayer, who is responsible for the proper record keeping on when and how much you purchased an investment for. So it gets even more, a little bit more complicated when it comes to your house because um, a lot of times if you've been in your house for 10, 15, 20 years, those records are somewhat lost to the dustbin of history. And certainly changes to cost bases or add-ons to cost bases like we were talking about earlier, remodeling, um, enhancements to the property, um, those, if you don't keep those documents, those receipts, you technically aren't supposed to claim them. You would have to defend that if you got a letter from the IRS. So capturing, keeping, recording cost basis is, is, is extremely important to the proper um, paying of the ultimate capital gains tax. But most people uh, don't do that, don't appreciate that. And going back to newer investors today who are trading a lot more frequently, uh, they have no clue what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to sum it up, because I did want to talk about what you need to keep and what you don't need to keep. So for any investment that was purchased in 2011 or later, you should be covered. You're, they're required to track this for you, the custodians. And even if you don't have it physically, it's probably... Uh, on the uh, your custodian's you website, right? You could mm -hmm. typically go back five or ten years. You can get it from the custodian. Mm -hmm. So from 2011 forward, you should be good with investments. So that's stocks, bonds, mutual funds. With a house, though, I mean, you should really keep records of everything for the entire duration that you've owned that home, and then probably for a few years after the sale. So the, the look back period for the IRS to audit you is typically three years with some exceptions. So it's a good idea to keep all of the records regarding your home, regarding capital improvements for the entire time you own the home plus another three or four years after you sell it just to be sure you don't have to go through an audit and, and prove your work. Yeah, and uh, just to reiterate that, the normal hold, we get this question a lot from our clients, how long should I hold my old tax returns and documents what, uh, and, and so on and so forth? Uh, three years is the normal amount of time. There are some minor exceptions to that. So to be safe, four or five years. But beyond five, typically, uh, if you haven't received a letter from the IRS or a phone call, then... They don't uh, call you. Oh, that's true. If they're calling that's right. you, it's, it's a scam. scam. That's right. They, they won't call you. They will you. not call you. Right. Just but send you will mail. get that letter. Yeah, you will. <laughs> so if you get that letter, if you haven't got that letter in five years, you're probably safe and you don't need to keep your documents past that point. 
Do you know how many, uh, what percent of taxpayers get audited? Uh, it's ball one to two percent. One. One. That's right. what I read, yeah. Mm. So chances are rare. Chances are low. But However, there's a lot. What we do see, and this doesn't qualify as an audit, but it's not uncommon to get a letter from the IRS that says, hey, something doesn't match up right. here. Um, you've reported X on your tax return, yet we've got a statement from your bank or your brokerage company uh, or your employer that says you actually made Y. Something doesn't add up here. We need clarification. Um, so that is not uncommon where, where that happens, and that's where having those records um, for at least three years, closer to five, will help you rectify those circumstances and situations. Right. Well, let me tell you, the IRS is not quick on their feet. They are probably just now getting around to We have clients who are now just seeing letters from 2018 mm. filings. So know that it will take a while if it pops up. Yeah. they're Right now, they are notoriously slow. They're understaffed like a lot of employers right now. They don't have enough people to do the, the basic work. So... So anyway, there's a little bit of uh, background on, on how long to keep your tax returns. All right, we're going to have to step aside, take our final break of the hour. We're going to be right back after these messages. And uh, if you've got a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, jump on the phone lines, give us a call, 627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. Welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. Once there, you can request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter at wealthwayadvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the dialog boxes, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we will use your name and address for. Or if you want to give us a call at the office and talk it out, give us a call at 456-2200. Our next show will be in two weeks on Tuesday, May 10th at 6 p.m. as usual. But you don't have to wait for that. You can get this show as a podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, search for Dollars in Common Sense, download us, take us with you wherever you go, listen on your own schedule. And if you want to friend us on Facebook or LinkedIn, we will happily accept that. Just search for Wealthway Financial Advisors in those apps and press the like button. All right, 627-7979. If you have a question or comment relating to your personal financial situation, right now we're going to go up to Carrollton and speak with John. Good evening, John. You're on Dollars in Common Sense. Uh, yes, uh, please excuse my voice. I'm trying to get over this COVID. Um, last year, uh, in May of last year, I gave my sister had you know helped me out a lot over the years, and so I decided to give her fifty thousand dollars. So I took fifty thousand dollars I had in the bank and sent it to her 
you know, this lady at the cashier's check from the bank, and she deposited that in her account. Now, that's not considered income, is it? She won't have to pay taxes on, on that when we share the dust. John, did you give it to her as a gift, or did you give it to her as a loan? No, uh, I gave it to her as, you know, a gift, paying her back, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. being given me over the years. Mm-hmm. Right, then that is not income to your sister. That is a gift. But, well, then, 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 then the people that does her taxes, they all know that, then, right? Well, she just would not have to declare it, or she would not have to claim it as income. That that was a gift for you. So if she's not going to claim it as income, it will not show up on the tax return, and she will not have to pay tax on it. Thank you so very much, sir. And y'all have a really good show, right? All right. Thank you so very much. Okay, John, you got it. Thanks for the call, and I hope you feel better. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's a common question. Many people are concerned. If I give a gift, what are the tax consequences? Is it taxable to the recipient? Is it taxable to me? Well, in almost any case with gifting, it's not a taxable event. Now, it just might be reportable depending on the amount that you're gifting in a year, but not taxable. Yeah, and um, not really want to get into all the estate tax planning uh, complexities around gifting, but just know that anyone can give any other person uh, up to now in 2022, $16,000 per year without any tax implications on either side of the equation. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to report, the giver does not have to report it and the receiver does not have to report it. So since John gifted more than $16,000, technically he should be telling his tax advisor about that, not because it would cause any tax implications, but just because that does need to be tracked over the years when you give more than 16000 to someone in a year. Right. So just know that right now the magic number is $16,000 uh, per year per any person. Mm-hmm. And back to our topic on capital gains, capital gains tax, cost basis. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to make sure that we touched on one other piece about what you need to keep and what you don't need to keep. Because we said keep cost basis records, keep all of your home, your, your real estate records. So do you need to keep every monthly brokerage statement or... 401k, IRA statement, bank Bank. statement, credit card bill. (laughs) No, the answer is no. You don't have to keep them physically anyway. You do not have to receive them in the mail and put them in a file and save them for a decade. (laughs) Right. I mean, but we just, we hear of people that have piles and piles of paper just keep the most recent statement so mm-hmm. that there's record that there is an account and where it is and where someone would go in an emergency. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to keep every statement because your custodian has records of those and, and can typically regenerate them for you by request. Yeah, we're big fans of keeping your financial life as reasonably simple as you can. So let your brokerage firm, let your 401k company, let your bank be the library 
that keeps all that documentation. Uh, receive it in uh, a notification in electronic form if you ever want to go look at it. Nowadays, I would hope most everybody is accustomed to having logons and passwords to get this. Um, you know, it, it's essentially at your electronic fingertips whenever you need it. So you don't need to keep, you know, binders full of paper statements anymore. Yeah, I I sometimes hear people with concerns about signing up for electronic statements. They think that's a security risk. Well, your information's being held electronically, mm-hmm. whether you sign up for electronic delivery or not. And electronic delivery doesn't mean it's being emailed to you mm-hmm. in an unsecure fashion. It's most often just a notification that mm-hmm. you can lo- log on to your account securely where there's all sorts of in, uh, security features and access your statement yourself. So not a s- not significantly more risk to do digital. It, it's worth the simplification. All right. And I would argue that in some cases it's more secure because, you know, you leave it around your house. Maybe you have a cleaning person come in. Maybe you have uh, your ne'er-do-well brother who you don't like who's <laughs> snooping around your, yeah. you know, your desk paperwork type of thing. And, you know, all, you know, it, the, you have that stuff laying around. It, it's liable to get out or get in somebody's hands or have somebody else's eyeballs on it. Whereas when it's locked behind the digital wall of your bank account, only you with the login and password can see that information. So there are security benefits to actually keeping it in electronic form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just say don't be afraid of electronic uh, record keeping mm-hmm. in this day and age. So keep the most recent statement for all of your accounts, shred the rest, or just sign up for electronic delivery and save the trees. See, we're doing our part. <laughs> save, <laughs> save the trees, lower your taxes, uh, make sure you capture your cost basis, the date and amount of purchases to your investments, and that when you actually do sell them, uh, it will make tax preparation that much more easy and accurate. All right, that's all the uh, time we have for today. We will be back in two weeks on Tuesday, May 10th at 6 p.m. as usual. Or you can catch this show as a rebroadcast uh, coming up on this Saturday morning. I think that's uh, April 13th. For more information about us, uh, I'm sorry, April 30th, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <Is it? laughs> uh, for more information about us, uh, look us up online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. For certified financial planner Allison Debril, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. You've been listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. The preceding program was sponsored and paid for by Wealthway Financial Advisors. We are solely responsible for its contents.